Radio. Bringing you the good, the bad, and the downright nasty. Oh. All right, what's going on there, everybody? This is Dr. Red coming at you live from an undisclosed location in southern Ontario. This undisclosed location is my farm where I reside. It's currently a crisp Friday night. I'm also sipping on a nice crispy boy right now in Redleaf Studios and coming at you live on the air with another episode of Redleaf Radio. So here we go. We're going to jump right into it. Um, so this podcast is going to be, for the most part, based on, uh, let's, I'm going to call it financial knowledge, um, just coming out of the experiences in my life that I've dealt with. Um, and one of the recent rabbit holes I've gone down is Bitcoin, and that's going to be something that I'm is going to be very much geared towards this podcast. But in saying that, I'm going to touch on all kinds of stuff. Hopefully, I have some guests on, some buddies. Who knows where this podcast goes? But it's a passion of mine. I love doing this kind of stuff. Uh, as my wife can attest, I love to talk, and this is something that uh, I've been wanting to do for a while. And I'm just going to, you know, get to work, start doing it. So. Like I said, this is going to be a podcast geared geared towards, like I said, financial stuff. Uh, again, full disclosure, I'm not a financial advisor. I am nothing that I'm going to throw at you is, you know, concrete advice. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, just kidding. I have a little bit. But yeah, you know what? I just want to shed some light on stuff that's going on in the world and, and uh, you know, hopefully bring stuff to people's attention that maybe they didn't know. And, you know, just, uh, just chat, chat with people and, you know, see where this goes. So in saying that, I guess I'll give you a quick backstory of who I am, what the hell I'm doing, why you should listen to me on this radio. And, uh, yeah. So without further ado, here we go. So I am born and raised Canadian. Uh, my grandparents, both sides were Dutch immigrants. Um, we, uh, they immigrated, around late 60s, early 70s, on my Burkle side anyways, and uh, immediately got to farming, and farming has stayed in the blood. It was in the blood before they came. We were farmers in Holland, uh, and we're still farmers now, so I'm a third-generation Canadian farmer. I'm probably fifth or sixth generation um, Dutch farmer. They were growing stuff in the Netherlands already a hundred more than 100 years ago, so, you know, <laughs> carrying the torch, baby. <laughs> Hopefully I don't let any of these people down. Hopefully I don't run this farm into the ground. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so my backstory is grew up on the farm, like I said. Uh, great parents. I got a brother and a sister. Um, like any Canadian kid, I grew up playing hockey. Uh, it was a real passion of mine. I pursued it quite heavily. Um, I played some... A brief stint in the OHL, a uh, fair amount of Junior A, um, finished off my Junior B, playing Junior B. Um, that story is basically, oh, well, I guess we'll get into it. I'm just going to talk. So if you people want to enjoy and listen, I'll give you the story of how I've ended up where I am. So I was about, uh, well, I was a younger kid. I was playing hockey in Simcoe here. And uh, I was, you know, a decent hockey player. So we decided to go to Brantford to play some AAA hockey. 
Uh, I went there in my major Bantam year, uh, draft year for, you know, kids, Canadian kids is um, when you're 16. So I went the year prior to that. I played one year AAA in major Bantam. Then I went and started the second year there in major or sorry, minor midget, which is your draft year. Uh, I had a decent year that year. I got drafted to the Oshawa generals from there. Uh, I made the team my first year, uh, as a 16 year old. Um, so that was a crazy year. I'll tell you the full spiel. So I got drafted. I went to camp as a 16 year old, um, made the team. And I started hot or sorry, I started high school as a 16 year old in Oshawa. Um, then I was there for, I don't know, probably about a month and a half, two months. Um, got sent down to their farm team, their junior A team, which was in Kuchiching, Aurelia. Um, so I moved from Oshawa to Kuchiching and I started high school there and I was there for, I don't know, I bet you it was like a month maybe. And, uh, another team had, uh, trade considerations with Kuchiching and that was Bowmanville. Um, and I was the only guy that they would take from Kuchiching, I guess. I was the only guy they were looking for or they wanted. So I then got traded to Bowmanville. So keep in mind, this is all this is all now happened within um, basically, I don't know, less than four months. Uh, I started high school in Bowmanville now. So now I've been not even half a semester and I'm at my uh, third high school of the year. Uh, all new people living with a different family every time. Um, they were all really good people. I will say that for sure. Um, for people who don't know, they call them billets. Uh, they're basically parents who volunteer, families who volunteer to house uh, up and coming hockey players or people who are, you know, uh, they need a place to live basically. So the teams hook up with parents who are willing to do stuff like this. A lot of times they have kids in hockey too. So, um, yeah, each time, uh, Oshawa lived with a family, uh, started school there, traded, went to Kuchiching, started school, lived with another family, uh, traded again to uh, Bowmanville, lived with another family there, started high, started high school there. And actually that year, I think because of all the stress and um, just being 16 years old and, you know, I was just a farm kid. <laughs> really had no experience with any of this stuff and I think the pressure just got to me um you know all the moving around and everything else and I actually ended up getting arthritis really bad uh I remember at the time um I still remember to this day actually I came home we had a little bit of a break and I went hunting actually we were during the shotgun week for deer hunting and my toe was really bugging me um couldn't figure out why I thought maybe I stubbed it or it was just like cracked or something I don't know anyways uh went back to Bowmanville and and I remember still remember uh I was putting my skates on and my ankles um specifically my right one actually was hardly could fit my skate and I thought what the hell's going on here and then uh I played the game and my ankles were so swollen and I had no idea why and then it kind of progressed and I remember like the next week we were practicing you were usually on the ice you know three four times a week or whatever and we were practicing and I was getting kind of pain in my wrist when I was shooting the puck I could really it was killing my wrist kind of 
And I just thought, man, something is funky's going on here. And then it just actually progressively, progressively got worse um, to the point where I actually could, my ankles were starting to bug me so much that I was having uh, trouble skating and my wrist was bugging me, but I didn't want to say anything because I was pretty high on hockey and, and I didn't want to lose my spot. So I was battling through it to the point where eventually I just couldn't do it. Actually, I think I talked to my coach and I said, there's something going on. I got to get checked out because I got all these things and I'm struggling. And it got to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't skate. Um, it was really bugging me to walk. I remember, uh, it was at my billet's house. I, when I, when I went to bed, I would, couldn't figure out why, but I would sweat so bad at night that I would have to change my, like I'm talking soaked. Like I jumped in a pool or just jumped in the shower and then just laid down in bed soaked where I would soak my sheets and my comforter to the point where I had to rip them off the bed and then lay in another blanket or something. And this wouldn't just happen once this would happen like five, six times a night. I'd be up sweating like, like, like unbelievable. Honestly, it's, it's hard to really put it in uh, in words how aggra- how aggressive it was, but it would be just be numerous times a night um, waking up soaked, and uh, then it got to the point where if I wanted to sit up, I got like it was hard to sit up. I had really bad chain like or pain, sorry, right where your sternum is, so I could hardly sit up, um, like like do a sit up. I mean. And, uh, got to the point where I struggled walking up and down stairs. Um, if I wanted to eat a bowl of cereal, my jaw hurt so bad that I could hardly even chew anything like eat a, eat like that. I could hardly move. I actually ended up for a, in a wheelchair for a little bit. I was in going to school in a wheelchair for a bit because I could hardly, I could honestly hardly walk. Couldn't figure out what the hell's going on. I was still in Bowmanville at the time. And then, uh it came to the point where it was like, okay, this is, we couldn't figure out what the hell's going on. I was going to the doctors, getting tests. They tested for a bunch of different things. Um, I remember one of them was leukemia. They thought maybe it could be what it was, but we could, it wasn't. Thank, you know, thank God, obviously. Um, couldn't figure out what it was. And then I ended up going to a, a clinic in London and I was sitting in with the, or sorry, the, the doctor had like a resident, uh, in the room. And the resident was talking after me. He's like, uh, I think, or he said, does anybody in your family have history of uh, arthritis or anything or psoriatic arthritis or psoriasis? I said, I think maybe my dad does. And anyways, that's that's how they figured out. They figured it out that uh, I had psoriatic arthritis and uh, that's what was causing all this, all these issues. And um, yeah, so I lived with that for about six, well, lived without knowing what it was for about six months. Um, and then, uh, they figured out what it was. And then I went on medication. Um, I took these pills. I can't remember what they were. And then I also took a medication medication that is called uh, methotrexate. So I had to give myself a needle once a week, basically in my leg. Um, and it's crazy strong stuff. Anyways, it worked and it actually, um, basically totally got rid of it to the point where I was feeling really good again. It took a bit of time, but it slowly, the arthritis slowly dissipated. 
and started to feel a lot more like my normal self. And I actually just ended up having a real problem with, um, with giving myself the needle. Um, they gave you, or I had these, these, uh, the alcohol wipes or whatever they are, uh, antiseptic wipes, like you would use to wipe, you know, a cut or something or stitches. I would wipe the, the, you know, part on my leg where the needle's got to go. Uh, I would take the needle, stick it in the little bottle of the vial or whatever, the methotrexate, suck the stuff up into the needle, make sure there's no air in the needle, jam that sucker into my leg, juice me up, make me, you know, feel good and uh, comfortably numb, as they say. And I got, I, I just, uh, eventually I got really, it made me actually feel physically ill to the point, I remember I was feeling like good, like my body was feeling pretty good. Um, as far as the arthritis went and I got to the point where I think I took it and it made me, f the smell of the alcohol and give myself the needle made me f feel so like physically ill that I actually, I puked. I still remember I puked in the back sink in my parents' back bathroom because it just was screwing with my head so much. And then I said, that's, I can't do it anymore. And I just stopped. I cut it out completely. I stopped taking the pills. And then I uh, just decided to battle through whatever was going to come. And, you know, thank God that everything stayed the way it was and still to this day. So I was 17 at the time. I'm now 29. Um, still haven't had an issue since. I have some lasting effects from it. My one elbow's kind of, I think it just did some damage to the actual joint. Because um, at the point it got so far along that, some parts were kind of past the point of, you know, total damage or whatever you want to call it. So my elbow's a little bit, uh, not bad or anything, but a little bit screwed up. I actually can only, I can really tell when I pull a compound bow back, which is an odd thing, but that's when I can, I can tell. Other than that, really, I don't have any major issues. The odd time my knee, my one knee on the same side of my body bugs me a little, but nothing like, you know, nothing bad. I can still do anything that you know, I can run and, and whatever, exercise, squats, you know, all that good shit. So, yeah, so then I got better. I took the rest of that season off from Bowmanville, obviously. So when I went, when I realized what it was, I moved home and I finished high school at home. So that year when I was seven, 17, um, 17, yeah, seven, 16, 17, um, I went to four high schools in one year. Um, then 17, I was 17 because I graduated that year, actually. Yeah, that's right. So I was 17. I graduated. I still somehow managed to graduate after going to four high schools in one year. I still did it in four years. So how you done? Anyways, after that, uh, Bowmanville actually folded. So now I was without a hockey team, but, uh, I ended up getting picked up by a team called the uh, Lindsay Muskies, which is in Lindsay, Ontario. Um, and I played the season out there, had an awesome time, met a lot of good guys there. I had no lasting effects from from uh, my arthritis at that point. Played the season there. Lo and behold, we got a guy traded to us and a team called Humboldt Broncos. I'm sure some Canadian people know about them with the crash, that fatal crash that happened, which is just brutal. Um, you can't even put that in words. But I got traded out to Humboldt. 
and I went out to Saskatchewan and I lived with another family out there. So there for a while and then uh, I came back and I had just honestly realized I'm probably not as good as I thought I was at hockey and I was really tired of moving around and so many different people and places uh, living with different people. You know, at that point I'd live with like, oh man, one, two, three, four, five, six different families, different people by the time I was like 18. Um, So I just said, this is, I've had enough. And I went back to Ontario and uh, I finished playing my hockey career in Junior B in Niagara Falls where uh, I actually... One of my buddies from Lindsay, uh, one of my real good buddies there, he he actually went finished his last year in Niagara as well. And he's the one who kind of convinced me to come down there. And, man, what a time. That was a good uh, good couple of years, year and a half, a year and a half of my life there. I mean, all of it was good. Um, but at the time, I had been so stressed out that I kind of had lost my drive. But I went to Niagara. And I'll be honest, I didn't have a ton of drive at that point. I was still... You know, still playing and still putting up points, and but to tell you the truth, I was less worried about what people thought and less worried about putting so much pressure on myself, and was more just having fun playing the game and doing what I actually love doing. So, I lived with really good people there too. John and Pauline, shout out to you guys if you ever listen. Um, and uh, yeah, so then I played there till I was twenty, and had like I said, met some really good people there. Had an awesome time in Niagara. I actually met my wife, current wife now in Niagara. So things always, uh, you know, things are meant to be, I guess. And um, so after that, after that, I decided um, I've had enough of hockey. I'm totally done. I had a few offers from universities in the States and and Canada. Could have went to a couple different schools, but I had no idea what I wanted to go to school for. And to be honest with you, I was actually just done with hockey. I played out my last year. I had the best year probably of hockey I had. Um, And I was just done. I thought this is, uh, I've had enough. I wanted some, you know, new chapter, new challenge or whatever. So at that point, I actually got my brother uh, who was in the Canadian military at the time, um, got him on board and my best buddy who was in college in Niagara or Welland at the time. And uh, we all got together in the winter of 2012 and 13, I think 2012 going into 2013. And we formulated a plan to buy a sailboat and take that sailboat down South. And, uh, if any of you are asking, no, I've never, none of us had ever even been on a sailboat, but shit, man, you watch some of those YouTube videos. And I just thought, man, damn, that looks nice. Nice and relaxed and get away from all this bullshit. New uh, new challenge or whatever. So we got on uh, on that wavelength and I convinced my two best, well, my brother's one of my best buddies and obviously my other best buddy and convinced them that, hey, we should, this is what we got to do. My brother was a little bit unhappy in the military um, and my other cousin was just graduating or my, sorry, my cousin, my best buddy he is my cousin. Um, he was uh, wrapping up school, so we were all kind of at this odd little crossroads where it worked out that everybody could go do something. So we uh, started looking for boats for sale, and we found a couple that 
were uh, looked like some good options. We went and looked at one up in, I think it was up near Lake Simcoe or Aurelia. She was a Catalina 27. And we thought, damn, that's a nice boat. This will do. This, uh, she could do. We got it surveyed. And surveys, basically, you hire somebody to go take a look. You know, is the boat worth the money? Is it, you know, she seaworthy? And uh, turns out it wasn't. So thank God we didn't just buy the damn thing because that would have been a huge mistake. Anyways, lo and behold, we live, I live like 10 minutes off Lake Erie and we ended up finding a boat for sale in Port Dover, which is like 10 minutes away. And the people that had the boat before they raced it, they're also were awesome people, met a lot of awesome people in my life. I got to say that. And we bought the boat off of them and we uh they they took us out for a bunch of sales kind of to teach us and then we actually while they were waiting to get their boat they basically said if you guys want to learn how to sail quick um you should race you should race your sailboat because that's how you're going to learn and they did race so they took us out we started racing the sailboat we joined like the the sailing club in dover and uh we started racing they they came on board with us until they bought their new boat so they kind of helped us run the boat um, for the first chunk of it and then uh, and then they bought a new boat and they they started racing their own boat so it was basically just the three of us and we a lot of times we had you know like my cousin on for a crew or a buddy or whatever um, and uh, shit man what a nerve-wracking thing when you got no idea what you're doing and racing sailboats is it looks like it's not that sketchy but I mean, you're really close at some points and it can get pretty snotty and it's a different, uh, a different animal and we're being, you know, we're green. We got no idea what we're doing. So that was a hell of a challenge and fun actually, but man, what a challenge. And that's actually how we learned how to sail basically. And then from there, we had bought the boat in basically a May, May of 2013, learned how to sail it over that summer. And we screwed off in September of, of 2013 um, motored it across Lake Erie to Buffalo, took it all the way through the Erie Canal there to the Hudson River, which, uh, splits New York City, basically. From there, I mean, I'm buzzing through this pretty quick. There's obviously, uh, a lot more to it than, like, even through Buffalo, you know. Well, I guess I'll give you the full spiel. I'm not in a rush here, so maybe you guys aren't either. So, from... Basically, so if you when you go into the Erie Canal, you uh, a lot of the bridges are too low, so you have to take your mast down, right? Like our mast was, I don't know, like it's less than it's probably forty feet tall, but there's bridges that aren't tall enough. So you literally build wooden frames and you lay your mast of your sailboat down straight across your boat, so it's like you know head height on your boat kind of thing. And we decided to do that in Port Dover because we didn't want to pay in Buffalo to do it. Which, looking back, holy shit, we could have saved ourselves some some real trouble, man. Anyways, we uh, we left from Port Dover real early on, I don't even know what day it was, but we left real early. Our parents came down and a couple friends um, shoved us off. See you later. Sayonara. And pulled out of the channel in Dover, hit the open water, baby. And uh, under cover of darkness, I think it was like 4 o'clock in the morning or something. It was like September 17th or something like that. 
was fairly br- it was actually quite brisk I, we got pictures we were in our coats and toques and everything else it was pretty cold and uh it was really snotty that day out on the water and i think it so to put this in perspective if you drove from port dover to buffalo or niagara falls it's like maybe a two-hour drive like you can do it in two hours i think it took us like 18 hours in the sailboat to get from port dover to buffalo because we were motoring we were beating into the waves what a it, it was we were hitting waves so hard that our mass like like I said, you got to lay it down the length of your boat, right? And the thing's longer than your boat, and we, you have to build these wooden frames, and you have to rope the mast down and, and tie it down. Like, you're ratchet-strapping the mast to the top of the boat, pretty much. We were hitting waves. It, they're on, like, saw... It's on sawhorses, basically how we designed it. Anyways, we were hitting waves so hard that the mast started shifting back and forth. We had to rejig all the knots and redo all the straps and shit. Like, what a nightmare. Anyways, it took us, like, 18 hours to get to Buffalo, um, we finally got to Buffalo after dark. What a weird thing that was too. Um, it calmed down when we got like out to Port Colburn way and we were able to, you know, like just motor along, but it was dark and you're looking at the shoreline and all the, the high rise buildings and shit of Buffalo are all lit up and, and there's windmills going on that end of the lake and you your your sense of like distance and how far things are, are so skewed when it's like that you have no idea and because you have no visual um reference points or whatever because you can't see shit so we anyways we ended up making it got into the marina in buffalo and checked in on a video phone thing the three of us blah 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 got our cruising permit the next morning from the marina and off we went down the erie canal which is also an awesome trip i recommend it even if you wanted to do like a week and just do a couple locks i think it's like 40 some 44 locks or something like that from the time you start to get you down to uh, sea level and in on the hudson river so it's a shitload of locks to go through but it's a good trip um anyways so we did the erie canal um met a lot of cool people on the erie canal who were all kind of doing the same thing we were and uh i'm actually trying to remember we met two people from alberta glenn and debbie um they're like family members now we cruised with them for almost the whole time we went they were uh i don't know maybe 60 50 i don't know i don't want to insult them i think they were mid 50s maybe same age as our parents um just salt of the earth people um can't say enough good about them and we cruise with them for a long time and for obvious reasons because they were just people who we uh could relate could relate to i guess we whatever they were awesome people i can't say enough good about glenn and debbie and their family so shout out to them um oriole sea was the name of their boat they also had a cnc which is what ours was canadian made boat um they had a cnc 36 or 37 no 38 maybe Ours was a CNC 30. I never even mentioned that. Ours was a CNC 30. Um, had the old Yanmar diesel underneath the hood. Thing ran like a top. Anyways, um, I think we met Glenn and Debbie on the Erie Canal, actually. Yeah, we did. Um, shout out to John and Evelyn, too. They were awesome people we met on the Erie Canal. John and Lucy, a ton of good people. Anyways... Got through the Erie Canal, then that gets you to the Hudson River. The Hudson River actually flows basically right to the Atlantic and cuts right by New York City. Um, and uh, we stayed in New York City on the boat on a mooring ball, actually, for like, I think we paid 30 bucks. 
Um, stayed there for a couple nights, hopped, rented some bikes, biked around all over New York City, Central Park, uh, um, whatever the hell you call that place downtown, all the TV screens and shit. I can't remember the name of that. Um, wow, that's how, that's a brain fart. Anyways, check that out. That was a just in general, that was a pretty neat experience in itself. We stayed there. I don't know how long we were actually there for, but maybe a week. Anyways, from there, um, we continued on our way, got on to, well, we were on the Atlantic at that point. Um, I, I should say reverting back, there's a, the last stop before you get on the Hudson is called Waterford. And that's where you can put your mast up on your boat. So we pulled it, put our mast back up, went down the Hudson, blah, blah, blah. Got out on the Atlantic. You got to go around Sandy Hook, it's called. And then once you're around Sandy Hook, you can get into the intercoastal waterway and that'll take you right basically down to Florida to the keys pretty much um so we did that uh i'll touch back on on that whole thing because that was you know it was just such a neat experience uh we left early in the morning or we sailed overnight i think to get around sandy hook so we sailed on the atlantic overnight that night beautiful night it was dead calm a little bit of wind so that that initial sail in the ocean was uh, a good one for not scaring the shit out of us anyways so yeah, we did that, and then uh, we got onto the intercoastal. We did a couple more overnighters and stuff, but we stopped in lots of cool places down the coast. I can't even name them all. Um, the intercoastal again is a really neat way to travel. So then we got to Florida. Um, it took us about three months, I think, actually, to get from from like New York to Florida. So we'd been on the boat for well, sorry, three months from Dover to Florida. Um, and then uh, we got to Florida, and we stayed there for a bit. And then we jumped over across the Gulf Stream to Bimini in the Bahamas. And then, yeah, from there we uh, we carried on, and we island hopped around the Bahamas for roughly another three months. Um, lots of stories there too. Should also mention that on this boat we had no running water. We didn't have a refrigerator. Um, it was pretty sparse. And some people might ask, how the hell did you afford this at 20? And actually, the boat we paid, I think we paid 14 grand between the three of us. So it wasn't a big investment. Um, and we actually had enough to get by to the, to the Bahamas, basically. And then in the Bahamas, actually, there's a lot of rich, older people doing the same thing we were doing. But they don't want to wash their boats or clean the barnacles and shit off the bottom. So we literally would legit we would go and wash people's boats and we would scrape we would dive on their boats and scrape the shit off the bottom and scrub the bottom of their boats and they'd pay us cash or they'd feed us a few beers give us some steak shit like that just cool cool stuff and that's how we actually kind of afforded our way through the whole thing once we were in the bahamas so that worked pretty slick so we stayed in the bahamas for about three months um yeah, and then uh, turned around and came all the way back. We came, we brought it all the way back. My brother left in in about halfway through the trip. Um, my parents and, and my buddy's parents, which are my uncle and aunt, and my grandma and grandpa on my broom side, they uh, they came down. Actually, they visit us, visited us in Nassau, which was awesome. And uh, after they left, um, my brother had... He didn't bow out. We just had a couple shitty sails, and and when you're in a shitty sail, it's the last place you want to be is on that fucking boat. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so well, maybe not for some, but that's you know, it makes you feel alive. Yeah, that's for sure. But 
you know, it also makes you feel scared. <laughs> Maybe being scared is feeling alive sometimes. But, uh, yeah, from that point, actually, my brother left, so then it was just me and, and my best buddy, Chad is his name. Skipper was his nickname. Uh, my brother's nickname is Snipes because he was a sniper in the in the Canadian military. Um, anyways, he left, and we carried on. And uh, people have asked numerous times, did you guys get into any, you know, shit where you thought, you know, holy cow, like, are we going, are we going down? Um, we didn't get into anything ridiculous. I mean, we got into a couple that were pretty nerve-wracking, just, like, really uncomfortable sales. Nothing that I thought we were going to, you know, sink our boat or anything. But other than the one time we left, uh, I think it was uh, Cat Cat Key or something like that in Eleuthera. I think it was in the Eleuthera's or Cat Island or something like that. Anyways, we left there, and it was really blowing. And we were hitting waves so hard that it actually blew a hose inside the boat that was connected to a through haul and uh we were both up top because it was pretty snotty and we had the the hatch closed and everything so we weren't inside the boat and i went down there one of us did to look for something we opened the hatch and there's you know four or five inches of water in the bottom of the boat with all our books and movies and whatever else are floating in the bottom of the boat and that was a panic moment but luckily we found the the uh the leak and my buddy Skipper there had some, that life tape or whatever the hell you call that shit. And we just wrapped it up and, and sealed the, sealed the leak and yeah, got the water out of there and carried on for the next three months. I don't even think we looked at that leak again after to make sure it was good, but it obviously worked. So that life, ta- whatever you call that stuff, man, it's a lifesaver. Legitimately, that was a legit lifesaver. We would have sank our boat. So from there... We carried on, and, and I'm really skimming over this, and I'll have my brother and, and Skipper on, and we can just talk, sh- shoot the shit about this trip, because w- there's way more cooler stories than this. Um, but yeah, we carried on from there, um, brought the boat back home to Dover, uh, got back in May, I think. We were gone for a total of like eight and a half to nine months. Um, came back, uh, sold the boat, Um and carried on with life after that. Uh, I think I went back to school. I went to get a degree or diploma, I guess, because I'm just a stupid college boy at uh, University of Guelph Ridgetown campus. Woo woo! What a joke. <laughs> Fun school, whatever. Anyways, got an agricultural diploma, got a job in Chatham um, as a greenhouse grower. Because uh, that's my background, greenhouses. That's where I grew up on the farm in Simcoe. And uh, anyways, got a job there as a grower. Worked there for about a year and a half. Um, awesome job. It was a brand new facility. Really neat place. They were hooked up to a ethanol plant. And they were using the waste CO2 and the waste heat from the ethanol plant um, to heat and, and pump CO2 into the greenhouse. Because for those who don't know, tomatoes eat lots of CO2. So we pump all the natural gas we burn. We pump the waste natural gas the waste everything that would go out the stack normally we pump into the greenhouse for the tomatoes to eat so we're actually you know a carbon uh, our carbon footprint is you know minimal i guess which i can talk about more too because that's a neat thing in itself and most a lot of people aren't aware of that that goes on so so from there i bought a uh real estate there was crazy cheap like ridiculous uh so i bought a house in chatham um because 
you know, back then, well, I'll tell you straight up, I paid $140,000 for my house and my house was like probably 2000 square feet, um, full, like upstairs, whatever, had an addition on it, had a detached two car garage, concrete drive. Like it was a nice, nice house. Needed some work in there, but it was a nice house for, you know, for 140 grand. Are you kidding me? And like the way the market is now, whatever. So I was really fortunate or lucky that way. I decided to, um, I was paying rent at the time, like, you know, 500 bucks. And I just said, well, what the hell I, I can pay, you know, 600 and I'll, I can buy a, or 600, whatever, whatever it was. And I can, I can own a house. So that's what I did. Um, talked to my parents, we kind of formulated the plan and, and, you know, we worked together and, and, uh, bought that house anyways. Um, worked there for about a year and a half. Then we decided we were going to try to expand the farm at home, which is, was owned by my uncle and my dad, my uncle and aunt, my mom, and my dad, greenhouses here. We had about eight acres of greenhouse. Um, we were going to, my uncle has two boys that wanted to get involved and myself. So we were going to expand the home farm and, and, uh, that's, we came back and I got involved. Sorry, my uncle owned a farm and we were going to build greenhouses there to grow tomatoes. Um, last minute actually plans changed and we got approached by a company called ProPlant who their owners, um, were looking to sell and they knew us they were involved my my grandpa burkle who started the farm here um his one of his friends max doesn't matter anyways he started this other business his boys were running it now and they heard through the grapevine what we were going to do and they were involved through friendship and church and stuff and they said well instead of doing that why don't you buy our business and that's what we did actually so we were propagating vegetables for uh, greenhouses across North America. We were one of only, I think five businesses doing what we did. Um, and I got to give a huge shout out to my dad and my, my uncle who, uh, annied up a, a bunch of funds to be able for us to invest in this and get going. They basically went out of their way to try to help set us up. So I have to give them thanks for that. Cause I wouldn't have had that opportunity otherwise. Um, my parents and my uncle and aunt too, my parents, they worked crazy hard for what they had in life and it shows, and I think it translates down to the kids as well. So anyway, shout out to them for that. And, uh, yeah, so we got involved there and I was working with two of my cousins and long story short, uh, working with family is not always the easiest thing in the world. And things were starting to deteriorate or relationships were starting to deteriorate between myself and my two cousins. So, um, I decided, uh, I think it had been three years and I decided, um, that the money just wasn't, uh, the money wasn't outweighing the happiness kind of thing. So I finally approached them. I said, Hey guys, I think I'd like you guys to buy me out. Um, and I'm going to carry on kind of thing. And, and, uh, which I did and that, uh, um, I miss it still, but I, I don't look back now. It was the right decision. Um, hard one to make hard thing to walk away from, you know, a uh, money or a future like that. But, um, anyways, I decided to move on. I came back to the home farm and I, uh, I ended up buying my, uh, well, I came back and worked for initially, I, I told my uncle and aunt, I said, Hey, I'd like to buy you guys out. Um, so I bought them out in the, well, March of 2021. So it's now almost been a full calendar year. Uh, since I've owned it with my mom and my dad, basically. 
Um, my dad and I kind of run the day to day and, uh, we get along great. Um, I had a, a son about a year and a half ago and, um, he's been got, I live right beside my parents, which is a blessing and a curse for my wife. Um, anyways, they've been able to be a big part of, you know, seeing my son grow up. And I think that's kind of neat. And it's also neat that my son is going to, you know, if we don't sell the farm, who knows what happens, but, um, you know, this, I grew up on a, I grew up lucky here with, with the farm we have and being able to definitely it instilled, uh, work ethic here that I still carry to this day. Um, we, my parents were, my grandparents worked hard. My parents worked hard and, and we were taught that if you want shit in life, you got to work hard. So we grew up working on the farm. We were in here pretty young, probably like almost, you know, like slate, like too young. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like they were breaking the law probably. I don't know how, how old can you, are you supposed to be able to walk? Um, before you can work probably so what does that tell you anyways uh in saying that growing up on the well I guess to come full circle so it's been a year um and yeah we're you know we're just continuing to carry on but like I said with with the farm um we I count myself really lucky we grew up the farm is about 42 acres ish um bunch of there's a big bush lot in the back um, with an open field and stuff, we grew up running around the bush, you know, hitting each other with sticks, lighting fires, uh, throwing firecrackers and shit at each other, um, field bomber cars. Uh, we never, well, my uncle and aunt bought them for their kids and we would just bomb around the field out there. My dad was big into dirt bikes. So he set us up with dirt bikes and he made a, a track out in the field that we used to go out there every Saturday with a couple of my buddies and, we, you know, race and shit out there and man, what a blast that was. And, and I be honest with you, like I, I am saying this and yeah, it's like, man, you're a privileged white kid. And that I was, I'm not going to deny that. Uh, you know, we were, a lot of people aren't so fortunate in life and that's unfortunate, but I can't hold that over my head, I guess, because my parents worked hard for what they had and they wanted to help us enjoy our lives. So I think that's kind of special and I'm just trying to do the same. I'm trying to work hard and make a good living and do the same for my son that, you know, he can wipe out on dirt bikes and I can laugh at him and shit. So, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of like a full story of, you know, how I got to where I am. I'm back on the farm. Um, and, uh, you know, just trying to make a buck, trying to make a living, and that's where it comes to the full circle of Bitcoin and how I got down that rabbit hole. And, and uh, yeah, that's basically, in a nutshell, I think that'll do for the first episode. And going into the next episode, I'm, I'll talk a little bit more about, um, you know, what's what it was like getting in and out of a business. And like I said, I'm going to gear this whole thing towards financial stuff, I guess, and, and Bitcoin related and... Um, I'm not a real political guy, but I don't think you can not be political and talk about financial and um, Bitcoin and everything else because it's all pretty tied together. So regardless, um, in saying that with the going down the whole financial road and everything else, I guess to finish off the the whole train of how everything's led to this podcast is uh, while I was working at 
Pro Plant, which I was part owner of that business with my two cousins. I got uh, really into, well, put it this way, I we weren't paying ourselves a lot because we were trying to put everything back into the company. And I had just bought a house here and, you know, stuff was tight, I guess, put it that way. Like money, you know, I wasn't swimming in money. Money was quite tight and I wasn't really able to save anything. And that bothered me, I guess. And I realized that I don't know jack shit about investing and, and, you know, how to properly manage my money and how to make the right moves and where does that all start and, so I wanted to learn more about that. So I got a few books and did a little bit of reading and then did some more researching and, and got into podcasts and started listening to a bunch of podcasts about financial education. And and that just ended up leading me to Bitcoin, which, you know, now I look at as the, the 100% answer. And we can go further into that for sure. Well, I'm going to because that is the, you know, that's 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 my whole goal here is to educate people on that. So. But basically, I stumbled across these podcasts. Uh, I'll throw a few, like Mark Moss was a big one for me. Um, he was a huge help. There's a guy, you know, like Greg Foss is a Canadian guy. There's a guy named Preston Pish. Um, all these guys are, are, you know, just fantastic people. And there's another guy named Ben Perrin. He's from BTC Sessions. He's from uh, out west. I think he's from Alberta. Um, he's another great guy that just, you know, they can educate you on kind of a base level or whatever and, and they're just super smart. And to me, it sounds like they're just out there trying to help people. And they basically look at it as I have the information here and I'm going to talk about it, but it's your choice if you want to listen or, you know, do anything with it. So I'm not going to force feed it to you, but it's here if you want it. And that's uh, how I got into it. And that's, I haven't looked back, to be honest with you. I would say my buddies will tell you or my wife or my parents that I'm totally obsessed with it now. And it's, kind of completely taken over my life in that regard that uh, I want to know how the whole thing works I want to know how the system works and I've realized that it's not a system that's really in your favor if you're like a working class person Um, and the answer to all that stuff is Bitcoin basically and once you understand what Bitcoin is you'll understand how ridiculously flawed the system is and you'll wonder why you didn't buy Bitcoin in 2013 and you'll kick yourself in the ass basically. So, um, in a nutshell, I'm going to wrap it up, I think at that. And the next episode, I'm going to pick it right back up from, from the financial or the investing stuff, the Bitcoin thing specifically. And, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Um, I'm trying to keep this as authentic as possible. So I'm going to try to keep some humor in here and it doesn't all need to be, you know, serious stuff. I'm going to try to have uh, some of my buddies on or whoever, my parents maybe, uh, people who want to ask questions about stuff they don't understand with Bitcoin because I still don't understand a lot by any means. I'm still real green, but I know more than than some. So I can help shed some light, simple questions for, you know, stuff that people that uh, are close or whatever want to know about it. And uh, that's where I'm going to start. So yeah, I'm probably gonna have a few people on here that are maybe have a few questions that can help other people listen and understand. And like I said, like Preston Fish said, if, if you want to listen to this, that's awesome. Um, it's here for the taking and it's going to do nothing, but hopefully get you ahead in life. And, uh, if you don't, well, piss on you. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but seriously, if you want to listen, that's great. I don't know everything. I'm not claiming to, um, but I am trying to learn and I'm trying to, you know, help other people understand too. So, 
yeah, to come full circle, thanks again for listening. And just so everybody, we're all on the same page. I'm not a financial advisor. Uh, I'm not an expert in anything. I'm just a regular dude, farmer from Southern Ontario who um, just wanted to educate, want to educate myself more on the system and and um, just basically stay ahead of the game and, and you know, continue to build uh, stuff or build a foundation or wealth or whatever you want to call it for my, my family down the road here. So um, a few generations to come, I guess, put it that way. And uh, yeah, so with that, I think I'm going to sign off. This is Dr. Red, not a doctor, coming at you live from Red Leaf Radio. Thanks again for listening. I really hope you enjoyed, and I really hope to have you back. All right. Uh, enjoy maybe a couple crispies tonight on this brisk Friday, February evening. Bye-bye.